Hey guys, I'm excited because we're actually doing our first video interview today. Uh, something new we're trying to bring with you guys. And obviously we'll put this on the podcast as well. But I've got author Stephen Lancaster on the episode today. And I'm excited because this is something that fell together really quick. So before I get into that story, I want to first welcome uh, Stephen Lancaster. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. I, I've been looking forward to it, Jerry. This is going to be cool. All right. So what happened was a couple of weeks ago, I had a listener and I'm sorry I would tell your name, but I forgot. We get so many emails that said, hey, you should check into Norman the Doll. And I'd heard of Norman the Doll, but didn't really know any details. And, you know, I said, OK, I'll check on it. Hadn't yet. And then uh, was sitting and watch TV with Tracy. And I got all these episodes of a haunting tape that I never get a chance to watch. And I flipped on the first one and it was on Norman the Doll. And so I'm sitting there and they've got, unlike most versions of, of a haunting, they actually had some real video footage in this one from the actual uh, a case. And then uh, obviously listening to Steven and his wife, which were both paranormal investigators, uh, while we were still watching the show, I found Steven and sent him a message and he agreed to come on the show. So that's how all that happened. So like I said, I'm excited, Steven. Thanks for coming on. Like it's, it's yes, very short notice and then uh, we made it happen quick. So let's get into this a little bit. I want to tell a little bit of background about you. You've been a paranormal investigator since 1997. So you go way back, obviously. It says on your website that you have done work for politicians, military facilities, which is a big favorite of mine, board of educations, museums, of course, commercial properties, uh, uh, personal residences and stuff. Tell me a little bit about how you get to do work for politicians and military facilities, because that's got to be a, a pretty tough from a security standpoint to be able to do. Yes, sir. It's uh, a lot of, uh, of the, the government stuff. I, I have to give credit where credit's due goes to my father. Um, he retired from the government. He, uh, he used to work for a ballistics laboratory. Um, he was the engineer that designed the, the engine for the Patriot missile. Oh, wow. You know, back back in the 90s. So um, getting access to certain things, um, he would he would come to me with this stuff. Uh, but but a lot of it had to do with credibility, too, because there, there are two versions of paranormal investigators. Um, there are those who. Actually investigate the paranormal and then there are those you see on TV. Right. Um, and we don't need to get into all that, but I. Uh, I started getting overwhelmed because I, I was a solo investigator when I started in 97 and I kind of followed that path for, for about 10 years, but cases kept coming in. The more the internet blew up, the more I blew up, uh, the more easily it was to access me. And I started getting these cases that were eight hours, 12 hours away, bigger locations. Um, we're not talking spending four hours in one night at a location and calling it one and done, we're talking going two and a half weeks, a month, a year at some of these locations. So I assembled a team and uh, just word of mouth got out there on the East Coast. And next thing I know, I'm contacted by a politician from uh, Scotland Neck, uh, North Carolina, just real close to the Virginia border, wanting us to come investigate his case. I'm like, wait, I'm getting politicians now. Next thing I know, I've got the uh, USO in Wilmington, North Carolina, contacting me because at that time I was in and I don't say this to boast anything. But when YouTube first came out, I put together a show called Monster Vision TV 
that uh, chronicled my investigations. I wanted to show people what it was really like versus what you're seeing on television. And so that was the first of its kind for YouTube. Now everybody and their brothers got ghost right. videos and investigative videos on, on YouTube. So that garnered a lot of attention. So when people started Googling, you know, ghost hunters or paranormal research, who do I call, you know, we were there. I mean, my name was, we was, we were the people to get. So we would get these high profile cases. And then that turned into, you know, restaurants and documentaries and TV appearances. Um, so we, we were definitely blessed in, in that department. And, and a lot of those cases are confidential too. You know, I, I can, mm -hmm. the, the USO was made public. Um, the investigation with the mayor of Scotland Neck was made public. That was all up to them, you know, whether they wanted it out and about or not. But yeah, that's kind of, and a lot of it, like I said, has to do with, with who my dad was as far as access to government stuff. I, I already came with a reputation, which is interesting because he was a literal rocket scientist and here his son is a ghost hunter. <laughs> you know, it's like, live up to that, you know, try living <laughs> up to that. But that's the, the short version anyway. Now, I want to get into some other stuff down the road, but the main reason I brought you on, obviously, was for Norman, who is in the picture behind you. And tell me a little bit about the story about how you came across Norman. But before you tell me the story, I'm always curious. I ask people who are on the reality shows or the recreation shows like A Haunting, like this mm -hmm. one was on and a, and a few others. How good of a job did you think A Haunting did with... Uh, given a, a good reality of what really happened? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because the reason uh, you kind of mentioned it at the beginning of the show, the, the reason I agreed to it and it, it was basically the deciding factor for me because they came to me and I'm very, very uh, cautious when it comes to doing these shows because I've done shows in the past and, and received the wrong end of the stick, so to speak, you know, where they've taken words from a sentence I said here and words from a sentence I said here and then pasted it together and made it sound like I was saying something I never even said, you know, so I wanted to make sure that I was in total control of this. And I told them, I said, the deciding factor is I understand your format. I know you do the, the recreations and that's fine. You, you, you hire your actors, you can do recreations. Um, but I want to show the actual footage. I want people to see what we are describing and what you're recreating so they can judge for themselves, you know, for themselves. So they talked about it. We went back and forth and they agreed to do that. And I told them and I said, and this was all in the contract. I said, I get final say. If we agree to do this, I want to see your drafted up version of this. And give the final say. And they agree to it. And I have to give Kelly Tucker, um, the producer I worked with, uh, a lot of credit for trusting me uh, um, in going with that format. Because ultimately, I caused them to change the format a little bit. <laughs> you know, they had to show the real footage and, and, and whittle that into what they were used to doing. So I, I was very, very happy about that. And um, we're working again together. We were supposed to film, uh, I, I think uh, you and I were talking before the show, how they wanted to originally make it a movie mm -hmm. because there is so much. And this is before the second book. Their, their source material was entirely the first book. 
And the show could only cover about 25% of that. And her and I have been back and forth, back and forth. We're friends on Facebook now, you know, it's just that kind of relationship. And last year we were supposed to go back in and film um, what, what uh, the travel channel is referring to as um, like shock docs, you know, shock, shock documentaries. Oh yeah. 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 And one of them is going to be Norman the doll. And the other is a, another case I can't talk about until we do it. Um, the show, but that, that, but, but the virus, the pandemic, everything put that on hold. Of course. So, because th- this is a lot of um, in the field work where we're not just going to be sitting in a studio like you and I are, you know, and, and the producers 10 foot from us, the camera guys, this is a lot of interaction. So we've got to wait till, you know, things are safe to do that. So while we're on the subject, so we talked about the actual footage in there. One thing I, I want to bring up the actual footage is it, it shows you're at a computer or, or, or a desk of some sort doing some kind of work. Your back is to the bed. The doll is sitting up in the bed up in, at, near the headboard. And then you've got your grandson and granddaughter in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, the grandson is on the foot of the bed, just kind of sitting there watching watching TV. He turns around, he looks, the doll's head just moves uh, to the, uh, I guess, to the left, would it be, towards where you are. Mm-hmm. And little boy sees it, and he just obviously turns around and starts watching TV. And we talked about that uh, a little bit, about how that just seemed odd that he saw this thing and just it, it didn't phase him at all. But you pointed out that, you know, He's a, he's a little little kid. He's he's thinking this doll's supposed to do that. He's not aware. And Norman is not the kind of doll that uh, has a head on a swivel, correct? No, and that that's what makes it interesting. And there there are some videos on YouTube um, where I've demonstrated that um, he's kind of all solid, you know, one piece. I mean, you have to force him over, but when you force him over, his entire torso, everything bends. Um, the doll in the video not only turned his head, but when he comes back, he looks down. Physically, his head can't do that. So there was certainly something supernatural right there to begin with, making this doll do something that it's not physically designed to do. Um, that's what really grabbed me as validity. And of course, you know, the video tells all just seeing that to begin with. Because he's not mechanical in any way. He's an old doll from 1962, has the pull string, you know, which leads to a little rotary, like those old pianos, you know, mm-hmm. the, the player pianos. That's what's inside of him where he says a few phrases from Maddie Mattel as Maddie Mattel. And, and those don't even work anymore. So there, there's nothing electronic about him. And that, that's what was interesting with him. Not only moving like that, but it, but in videos where we had communication sessions with him, in videos where, where we filmed these erratic and high electromagnetic fields coming off of him, ionic energy coming off of him, and he is not a conductor of any kind. There's not a, a piece of metal on him, nothing electrical. Uh, so it's, it's some captivating stuff. Also on that segment of a haunting uh, there's there's it shows the the real the real footage of the doll's head mm-hmm. moving but then it also shows a, a, through the recreation the doll just magically appears next to your granddaughter and it was confusing to me and and when i spoke to you you were telling me those were actually two separate situations that they combined into one on the on the television show the, those were it, it's like i said 25 percent of what actually happened with norman is what you see on a haunting 
And it, it was two different occasions, probably a good two months apart from one another. Uh, and, and he was actually, in reality, he was sitting on a dresser and then he popped up in another area of the room. And there was like a, a glitch, if you want to say, in the surveillance, just that split second where, you know, you, you see that digital glitch and then he's here, you know. The haunting or a haunting, they wanted that footage and they were going to use it instead of recreating it. And I told them no. And I told them no because to me that wasn't valid enough. You know, there was a glitch first off in the surveillance. And then all of a sudden he's here. That can be faked very right. easily. So I was like, you know, this is too subjective. Don't, don't put that alongside of this amazing video of him moving his head when he physically can't do that. And then just show this glitchy video that could be staged by a teenager, you know, real, real simple stuff. So they kept at me, kept at me really wanting it. And I told them they weren't getting it, you know, it's just, it's not credible enough. So they recreated it in their own way and kind of worked it in. Um, but it, the way it, it's shown in the show, it did happen, just not like um, they perceived it. Guys, if you're just tuning in, we are with Stephen Lancaster. And if you go to authorstephenlancaster.com, you can check out a bunch of videos and stuff that uh, television appearances and so on that Stephen has been on. And you kind of kind of uh, see some of what we're talking about on there, but you can also see a bunch of different clips of him talking. Stephen, before we go any further, there's probably a lot of people that maybe haven't seen that episode. So kind of refresh my memory and, and everybody else who might've seen it a long time ago, how you came to getting in possession. I guess possession is probably a bad word, but uh, <laughs> of Ronald the doll. Well, okay. I am a very addicted collector. I, I collect antiquities. A lot of what you see behind me here, allegedly haunted items given to me by clients but my main passion is vintage toys. What you can't see is an entire museum in here of vintage toys from the old original G.I. Joes. I mean, you name it. Okay, I'm obsessed with collect Star Wars stuff. And uh, so my wife and I, we go out very frequently uh, and we seek out these old thrift stores, antique shops. And we came across one super huge. It was like a, a warehouse style. And I had looked up on this very, very high shelf and there was this high chair. And on top of this high chair was a, an old box. And I wanted the old box. I just thought the box was cool. So I kind of did some shady things in there and, and got the box and pulled it down. Well, the lock was busted off of the box. So in retrospect, now we know why. <laughs> okay, so I, I pulled out a pin knife and, and I pried that the box open and there is Maddie the doll from 1962 i'm like oh wow this is a vintage i gotta add it to my collection you know so i leave the box there just because i was so excited to have found maddie the doll and i take him up to the counter and, and there's two old two two elderly ladies working i think i think the one actually owns the building or owned the building it's no longer there anymore and uh she kind of they both kind of shoot this look to each other and it's like straight out of a horror movie you know what i mean it, I, I was looking at my wife like what was that all about and she's like where did you find that and i told her i said well uh, it looked like somebody had pulled down this uh, yeah. box back there you know uh not that that somebody was me 
but um and she looks at the other lady and she says um hey, you don't want that doll you know that you, you don't really I, actually i do and i made up some bs story i said you know this would really mean a lot to my mother she used to have one of these as a kid and uh she would really want it which was just me wanting it you know <laughs> so she said um and she said, I don't know, bad things happen. You know, there, there's a lot to that conversation that never made the show. And uh, I told her, well, I said, look, I, I'm kind of into bad things and, and uh, introduced myself as, as a paranormal researcher and a writer of paranormal phenomena. And she loosened up, you know, and, and she started telling me things and, and kind of gave me a little bit of the backstory of how the dog got there. Long story short, she said, how about five dollars? <laughs> Sold. So my wife and I go running out of there with the doll, totally forgetting about the box, the wooden box that I initially wanted. Um, but I had taken some pictures of the box because there was weird writing on the inside of it uh, with my I had an old flip phone. <laughs> I mean, the pictures are horrible. But um, eventually we did go back to get that box. And it was shortly after Hurricane Matthew. And that um, antique shop had taken on like four foot of water. It had destroyed everything. Oh, man. Everything. They get the insurance money. They get that place fixed. And then a few months later, the place burns down. Hmm. Now, a lot of people have related that to Norman. We we moved him. You know, maybe I can't say that. You know, it, it's interesting. You know, but I never did get my box. But I did get <laughs> something much, much uh, better. So, on. Uh, was the story that they portrayed uh, about the mother and the twins on a haunting, was that the story that was given to you? Yes, that is, I, I'll say it's absolutely true. Um, basically, a, a I want to say 50 year, 50 some year old woman had brought the doll to the store to donate it because they accept donations there as well. They get a lot of estate sale stuff, that kind of thing. And she was very, uh, she had told the, the old woman would have been a little bit younger at the time that um that wherever whatever bad things follow this doll around so she had basically alluded to some bad bad juju and she told them the story of how she got the doll and her, her mother was supposed to give birth to twins and unfortunately the boy um, was a stillborn well like most people when when they're they're in the hospital people bring them gifts well maddie the doll was brought as a gift um, you know, here, here's a doll for, for your kids that you're about to have. And uh, it's believed that the, the spirit from the unborn son went into the doll. And uh, she said shortly after that, uh, maybe six years, seven years after that, her house burnt down, killed her mother, killed the dog. And um, all she had left was the Maddie the doll. Maddie the doll was her best friend. So she grew up with Maddie the doll. And could never keep a relationship because, as I've learned, um, Norman does not like male figures. Um, he usually typically targets them first. Um, she would marry, remarry, divorce, whatever you want to say. Nothing would work with her with a male in her life. And she eventually gave up that doll. And in, in I walk and I get the doll. So, yeah, what they what they said was exactly what was said to me. How long do you think it was at the antique store before you stumbled across it? I want to say she said 2005. So that would make like 11 years. It was, it was tucked away in that box. Oh, wow. 
So do you take any precautions with Norman? I mean, do you have him like in an Annabelle-esque type, uh, you know, case or, or do you just treat it like you would any other of your uh, antiques? We initially know um, when, when, when um, activity started happening at the house, Norman wasn't even on the radar, you know, because I'm always coming back from investigations. I have allegedly haunted objects already in here. Um, so who knows where this stuff's deriving from, you know, is it an attachment from a, a, a case I just left, you know? Um, so it was, it, at first it wasn't Norman until I really started paying attention and I had the luxury of being a writer. So I worked from home, set up surveillance, started documenting all of this stuff. And long story short, it eventually pointed to him. Um, and, and I, I caught a lot of flack for that. You know, a lot of people would say, oh, you put your family in danger. You should have got rid of him. You should have brought in an exorcist. You know, all this different stuff, priests. And I'm like, well, why? <laughs> Doesn't that completely negate the whole point of my job? You know, if, if I have something that is truly paranormal, is truly haunted, why would I want to give that up? Especially when I have the home field advantage to study it 24-7. That's my job. I'm not letting it go. You know, so at first he had free reign. Um, then when things hit an apex um, in like the first book, you know, it chronicles exactly what happened. Uh, we decided, you know, maybe he just wants to find some peace because I had a couple theories. I had one. If this truly is the, the soul or spirit of that unborn child, he never got to have the childhood we, we know, you know, the, the childhood we all had. You know, maybe he just wants treated that way. But then I also thought on the flip side, you know, maybe he's not uh, men mentality wise a child anymore because we're talking about 54 years at that point. Through observation, has he learned and become educated and, and essentially has the mentality of a 54 year old? Because that's how we all learn observation. So, People argue that oh, it's always a child. It may be, but if you've got 54 years of doing nothing but observing, you are picking up things. You are learning things. So we thought, we'll give him his own room. We, we, we had a, a, an extra room in the house. We set it up like a kid's room, had a TV in there, rocking chair, whole nine yards. It was like we were having another kid. And this was after all the bad stuff went down to where it got to the point, okay, I've got enough data. Let's put this thing to rest. So we gave him his own room, shut the door, put a lock on it, um, put a sign on the, on the front. That way, if anything, with a, an envelope and a letter with instructions, if anything would ever happen to Christina or I, somebody went to that door wondering why it was locked. They got a little note there <laughs> to, to let them know what's going on, whether they believe it or not. Uh, and that worked for a while, for about a year. And then all of a sudden, we started to experience very similar activity again from years prior when Norman started his shenanigans and uh, long story short, he forced us to let us let him out of that room. And that's kind of where the second book picks up. And this time he came back, there was no mercy there. There was no playing around. This was uh, very threatening. One of the, the worst things I've ever, ever experienced. It's even, it's hard to talk about on, on many levels because a, it really happened. And B, it's so unbelievable. You just don't want to talk about it. Like, sure. you know, what are you know what I mean? What are people going to think? You know, 
because I've heard some doozies, but I can't say the third thing. And at one point I did put him in a, in a glass, I call them glass coffins. That's what I call them. <laughs> I did have him in one of those that didn't help. That didn't do anything. Um, the room, like I said, quieted it down for a while um, in, until he forced us to let him out. And then we had to do one final thing, which is the end of Norman two, which I can't say sure. for those who haven't read it. Um, but he is no longer in our lives. I can, I can say that we just have memories like this. People who are, who follow the story have learned from the story. Uh, this, this was an artist, um, who gave this to me. Uh, he, he loved the first book and he, and he recreated like the origin story of Norman. What you can't see over here is the little girl holding the doll in the house on fire. Um, I thought that was pretty cool, but now back in the, and I'm assuming obviously this isn't the first book, but you know, you guys, before you gave Norman his own room, you made an attempt to get rid of him at that point by selling him. Correct. More than once. It, it was the most uncanny thing. Um, I don't say in the book for legality reasons, but we were using eBay and uh, I would put him up there. It's amazing. You throw the word haunted in front of a doll <laughs> yeah. and bam, bam, you got all, you know, whatever. But I was very professional about it. I put a warning. I said, look, this is not a joke. I said, go to my website. Please learn a little bit about my history to know you are talking to a paranormal investigator you are talking to the guy who has researched this doll. This isn't some kind of hoax. You know, I wasn't asking an ungodly amount either. You know, I, I literally put the price on him of what a vintage Maddie the doll would go for. You know, had nothing, to, did not inflate the price because he was haunted. But I did make that warning very public. And I uh, had a buyer, went to the post office, shipped it out. All of a sudden, I'm getting emails. She never received it, never received it. Check with the post office, check with the post office. Finally, the post office gets a hold of me. It came back to them. <laughs> so I get it again. By this point, the girl's done law. I've done lost credibility with this girl. She's probably thinking it's some kind of scam. Try, I put it up again. Three times I tried to mail that thing. And all three times it would come back. Every single time. So we found out, well, okay, that's not going to work. Moving on. All right. So like you said, you eventually you, you've got a whole nother book. What's the name of the first book? What's the name of the second book? And where can people get the books? Uh, you can get the books. Uh, if you've got Barnes and Noble books, a million, any kind of bookstore in your, in your area. Uh, all of my books are carried there. Um, easiest way you can, you can access them on Amazon, uh, probably cheaper that way than going to Barnes and Noble. Um, and occasionally, like once a year, I'll do a little, especially last year, because typically I do a, um, a book signing tour for each book where I'll go up and down the East Coast. I'll hit all these stores. But with COVID, I could not do that for the Norman 2 release. So I bought a bunch of my books, about 400 of them, and put them up on my website to where people could order them signed. You know, the same people that would come to the book signing, they could. It was it was kind of a, a Kmart version of the book signing, but. It was a way to get get people who, who've been following me for 10 years and in, in my literary work, what they want, you know. We did the exact same thing. So figured out, you know, they can get it on Amazon if they want, or they can get it through us and get it signed. So so let's talk about some of your other books. We've got the you got two of them on Norman. Mm -hmm. Tell me about some of your books that you had out before Norman. 
the first book uh, was was a complete total accident. I, I probably wouldn't even be sitting here talking to you if it wasn't for this accident. I would just be my normal Fox Mulder self, you know, <laughs> recluse, nobody really knowing what I'm doing. But um, I was talking to a good friend of mine at the time. He wrote, um, he had wrote the book, uh, The Uninvited, uh, which became a movie. Um, I, I'm sure you've heard of it at one point or another. And, um, but he's not a paranormal investigator. He, he was more of just your average Joe who experienced a, a severe haunting and wrote about it. And uh, he, he would always pick my brain about being a paranormal investigator. Like, is it like what you'd see on TV and blah, blah. I said, no, man. I said, let me tell you what I do. Let me show you what I do. And, you know, I'm, I was old school then and I'm still old school now. I, I, now I type up my reports, you know, my case files, you know, before I would hand write them. So I started putting in the computer my most productive cases in the past 10 years at that, at that point in time. And uh, next thing I know, I had like 87,000 words. So I send it to him and I was like, here you go. Here's, here's 10 of my most productive cases. This is exactly how I do it. Here's the stories. Here's how it happened. And uh, I said, I don't expect you to read it all, but you said you wanted to know, man. So a few weeks go by and he calls me. He says, Lancaster, this could be a book. I said, are you serious? I said, this is it's such a niche thing. You know, it basically through the eyes of a paranormal investigator, you know, because um, people are used to what they see on TV. This is going to be kind of a culture shock to them. He's like, no, this is good stuff. Nobody's put out anything like this. And uh, I said, I tell you what, I, I will format it and I'll release it myself, you know, because I just don't think any publisher in their right mind is going to want this thing. So I, I do some artwork. And, and at the time, there was a website called Create Space. It might still be out there. I don't know. And uh, I self-released my, my first book in 2009. And it, it was called Paranormal Investigator, True Case Files of a Paranormal Investigator or True Accounts of a Paranormal Investigator. And it went up on Amazon, started selling really well. And I'm thinking, here I am, this independent guy. Maybe, maybe, maybe my <laughs> friend was right. Well, three months into it selling on Amazon, I get contacted by Llewellyn Worldwide, which is like the biggest publisher when it comes to the paranormal and new age and, and witchcraft and all that stuff. And they're like, is, is there any way that this manuscript, I, I guess they had a scout seeing how well this independent book was doing. I was like, why has nobody picked this up? And I said, well, sure, it's still available. Let's talk. You know, what, what do you want to do here? So she said, we'd like to sign a three book deal with you because we have nothing like this where each chapter was a case. So it started out with my first paranormal experience to how I became a paranormal investigator to then each chapter being an investigation, a different one. They weren't household names. These, these were stories nobody's ever heard. You know, it wasn't the regurgitated Amy DeVille or Annabelle <laughs> or anything like that. And she said, we want, we want to do a three book series like this to where each book you chronicle your cases. I was like, okay, very, very cool. So she said, you've got to pull it. You got to pull it from Amazon. So no more can sell. And there are a few rogue. Uh, I've seen some of these jokers going for like 500 bucks. There are a few rogue copies out there still, um, which don't pay $500 for that thing. <laughs> um, so this was a new experience to me because here I was now working with an acquisitions editor 
and, and editors on the book, and they took that 87,000 words and, and whittled it down to 55,000. I didn't like that because it wasn't as descriptive. I was more of the geek speak stuff. They wanted it more streamlined, and it got re-released as this guy, True Case Files of a Paranormal Investigator. So don't worry about getting that original book. This is it. The main difference is, is about 30,000 words um, <laughs> are cut. And, and my original book had pictures. Being a first-time author, they didn't want to put that expense into the printing of this one. So we didn't do the pictures. So then came the second book, which was this one. And this one was when me and my, my publisher almost parted ways if I wasn't on a uh, three-book <laughs> deal. Um it's called Dark Spirits, and it chronicles the next wave of investigations that I felt were productive. I only shared the productive ones. I don't share the boring ones where nothing happened, which is 98% of the time. And uh, this book was original. I had called Testaments of the Supernatural, which would have been part two, a continuation of the first book. They wanted to call it Dark Spirits, a man terrorized by the supernatural, which is so misleading. Right. There are only two stories out of the 12 in here that are that that deal with an extreme haunting and that one would consider frightening. So I felt this was was misrepresented and I bought it back. I bought the rights to this one back. So I will be re-releasing -re that one as intended. So but that's another whole story. We get to the third one, which was going to finalize my contract. OK, I'm working on the third one and I was calling it Skeletons. And, you know, and it was more of my cases. And Norman the Doll was one chapter in the book. Because up, at, up until that point, I'd only experienced that much worth of Norman. Just a chapter's worth. And uh, my acquisitions editor got back with me. She's like, we really like this Norman the Doll. Is there any way you can do a whole book on that? And I had a deadline to have this manuscript finished. And I said, uh, yeah, but it's going to be done right you got to give me at least another year, which they didn't want to do because they wanted to get another book out. And I fought them and fought them. And I said, look, you got to give me another year, which ended up being 18 months. <laughs> um, so for the next 18 months, I kept researching Norman. And of course he got worse and worse and there was more I could write about. I'm literally writing the book as this stuff is happening, which was a first. The other books were all after the fact, after the cases. So this was literally like a diary in a way or a journal. And uh, it would come time for the manuscript to be due. Nope, I'm still doing things with Norman. And long story short, that went to 18 months. They got their Norman book. It became their paranormal bestseller. And I continued researching Norman. And, and then I wrote the second book without my publisher even asking about it. I just kept researching him and writing just like I did with the first Norman book. And the next thing I knew, I had a second book on Norman, emailed it to my acquisitions editor. And she's like, oh, my God, why didn't you tell me you were working on this? I said, I, I can't tell you what fate's going to bring. I, I couldn't tell you if Norman was going to stop the next day. I had to wait and see if he was going to continue. I couldn't promise you anything, you know. So here it is. There, here's another book, and this finishes out the, the Norman story, and bam, they bought it right up, and now, now, as of a week ago, Norman, the first book, and the second one are both at the same time on their, their paranormal bestseller list, that's, so that's phenomenal, but it coming from a guy who just accidentally 
became a writer, you know, just because my buddy said, Hey, you need to put this out there. And I took a chance. I could see sure. them during that first book. And when it's already past a year that you asked for it, be like, mm-hmm. Steven, come on, it's been a year. Well, he won't quit doing stuff. <laughs> right. So you said your buddy uh, uninvited. Is that uh, Stephen Lachance? Yes. Yes. Yeah. We had Stephen on about uh, two months ago. Yeah. He's, he's a great guy. Great awesome. Guy. Awesome. Yeah. I love that interview. It's one of my favorite interviews we've done. So he's a good speaker. Him and I, we had, we had discussed a few documentary projects probably about 10 years ago. Um, but people just don't want to fund real paranormal research. So we really couldn't get anything off the ground, unfortunately. I know he's got something going on that it's supposed to be a big deal coming out later this year that uh, they came out and filmed most of the stuff out in Mexico where he lives. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens with it. But I want to, I want to backtrack a little bit and touch on one other thing before we finish up here. Once again, this is author Stephen Lancaster.com, Stephen S T E P H A N. So there's no confusion. I don't know if there's another author or Steven spelled the other way, but we'll make sure we get up to the right side. But I want to circle back to in the, the haunting. I know I keep going back to that one, but that's most of my research on this. Unfortunately, you had a friend come in and was actually doing some uh, audio work and stuff like that, that caught some pretty spooky stuff out of Norman. Can you touch on that a little bit before we get out of here? Yes, because that that right there is, is I can count on one hand um, the moments in the past 21 or well, 24 years uh, of research that really stand out to me. And that was one of them. And it was entirely just by chance. We um, we we were all up in Virginia, Soulfolk, Virginia, where we filmed uh, the A haunting episode. So we're all in the same hotel. And uh, I had brought Norman thinking that the show would actually want to use Norman. They would, a <laughs> little bit of trivia here, they, they would not allow me to bring that thing into the studio. They're like, no, no, that you are not bringing that in the building. So I was like, really? I, I would have thought you wanted it. So, you know, it's, it's funny not to interrupt you, but I also noticed on, on the, when they showed the original video that you had, that they also had to blur out some of them was that for copyright reasons we did that you know mattel i had contacted mattel um to get their blessing i told them what was going to happen um it's not something it's not a product they market anymore but just to to be safe um they didn't threaten anything or anything like that but just to be safe we thought you know what let's just people can see what Norman looks like on the internet, you know, let's just blur him a little bit, just, just to play it safe. We didn't want to cause any problems. Um, but with the hotel, so Darren gets, gets into town and we all go out to eat and, um, we're eating and and having a few beers or whatnot. And I said, you know what? I've got Norman. I I said, why don't we do a, a session? I said, cause up until that point, the only people to have worked with Norman was myself and um, my wife and Rosemary Ellen Guiley, um, who passed away, sadly, yeah, unfortunately, not, not, not too long ago. Um, she was helping us out because I would contact her. I would send her video clips. I'd send her my work and all that stuff. But uh, anyways, and I said, we've never brought him out of the house like this. Aside from trying to, you know, ship him off this is the first time something like this has been done. So we're like, Oh yeah, let's do it. So we get, cause I had brought all my equipment. It's always with us. And uh, we pull him out in the hotel and Darren Evans 
he's like, you know what, let's do this live on Facebook. So that was just another thing that added to it, that this was actually the, the original was streamed live on Facebook. So people could see this session going on and went on for like four hours. So we have different ghost boxes running, different devices running um, because he doesn't speak. So we, we were trying to find a way that he would communicate for us. And this just went on and on and on. And, and you know, the video is available on YouTube. You guys can look it up. Norman, the haunted doll investigated. Bam, it's going to pop up. And I had whittled it down to about 30 minutes so you don't have to sit there for four hours. But right. <laughs> I just took the most productive parts and put it together. Uh, and, you know, one or two things, uh, you could dismiss it, you know, because ghost boxes are subjective anyway. But when he is spot on, responding over and over again and he's saying things that are literally in relation to the case to things we've experienced you know to, to the fire situation i mean everything he said was in relation to what we were saying or asking or or prompting and to me i mean it's giving me chills right now to me that was one of the most productive uh communication sessions i've ever seen and ever been a part of. And of course, you have your naysayers. Oh, it was fake. It was staged. You know, all that stuff. But whatever. I, I don't care. But we, we were there. And, and that got worked into the haunting episode. Because the next day, um, I, I'm going in to film my interview. And I happened to mention it to Kelly Tucker, the producer. I said, you will never believe what happened last night. And, and I'm telling her. And I'm showing her some clips on my, my camcorder. You know, because I was filming with my camcorder while he was streaming from his phone. Uh, she was, oh, my God. She, she said, let's rethink this. So literally on the spot when we're supposed to be filming, you know, what we have already prepared for uh, as far as questions and stuff. She decided, let's put this in the show. And, you know, I had to give permission to use my video and all that. And so that wasn't even planned. None of it. And it ended up on the show, ended up becoming a great testament to uh just how haunted this thing is. It was cool. Incredible. Stephen Lancaster has been absolutely a blast having you on. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yes, sir. Thank you. I've I really enjoyed it. Well, come back and see us again when you got new projects and uh, we'll talk about some of those. Absolutely, Jerry. Thank you.